2: You are listening to Missed Apex Tech Time. We live F1. Welcome to Mist Apex Podcast, powered by SpannersReady.com, bringing you motorsport podcasts, news, and blogs. Thanks for joining me in the podcasting shed. I'm your Tech Time host, Matt Trumpets. Joining me tonight
3: reminiscing this and that and having such a good time. oodle a golly, what a day. It's Spanners Ready! I definitely think I'd do it better, Matt. Hey, have you changed your setup? Do you normally have like a massive boom mic in front of your camera?
2: No, no, this was bothering me rather a lot. Uh, it seems to be in a different place, although I don't think I've adjusted any part of my setup at all. So it could just be one of those things. I feel like I've got a halo on my
3: Well, as we know, it doesn't affect visibility. Uh, I hear podcasters mostly are looking left and right in their mirrors during recording anyway.
2: Yeah, that's right. Well, in the modern era, it's mostly looking in one's mirrors, I hear.
3: Man, this is exciting. My day has been so chilled. My wife left me in bed until 11 a.m. for no reason and then woke me up with an egg sandwich and a coffee. I mean, women are sometimes nice for no reason at all, right? right that would that would ramp my anxiety up to 11 what is she up to it's unbelievable but after that i was just that sounds like a new car maybe i don't know what has she (laughs) broken it's something i'm gonna have to search the house but after that i've had a a super relaxed day i've played with the kids and then 100 percent, i have failed to keep up with the tech time whatsapp chat that thing ticker taped past so fast
2: yeah, no, that was a, that was a great chat and is going to have a lot of influence, I think, on our show today. We got some really good ideas out there. I like your ideas of putting your comments all in white, though. That was clever.
3: Yeah, well, you know, I was rushed. I didn't have time to change the font from my normal uh, green, so I put it all in white. Don't worry, it's all there. No need to, no need to check and uh, press select all and change to red or anything like that. Uh, look, instead of instead of keeping up with the tech today, I think I've decided to either be quiet or just troll Vortex and Summers. Ooh, good luck with that. There may be some booing. But I tell you what, see who's been booed the most this season is Nico Rosberg. And and this week in F1, for the first time, people are really, really talking about him being world champion. And of course, obviously inside, I'm twisted up in knots as a a Lewis Hamilton lunatic. But actually, really, if I can take my Lewis Hamilton hat off for a second, thank goodness uh, Nico Rosberg is leading the championship right now. Because F1 did not need another season of Lewis Hamilton just disappearing away with it.
2: No, and they didn't really need another season of Mercedes disappearing away with it. But that's just what might happen at Malaysia. You know, they're right on the verge of clinching. Uh, and think if yeah. they finish one, two, it's done for the Constructors. Yeah,
3: but given that they were going to do that with the Constructors, it would have been a nightmare for Lewis to have done it as well. And and in my mind, I know, I think in my mind, I'm happy that it's been a, a freak set of occurrences and mechanical failures for Lewis Hamilton. Uh, but what we've got now is six races where is really at risk. What, what is probably the better driver, the three-time world champion who everyone thought was going to get... Um, his fourth title has got real six races where even if he has all the luck, the pressure is really on him to beat a driver who can drive. He's and he's not a mug. Uh, so oh, I, I can't wait for the next uh, six races. And I, I'm my hands are sweating.
2: Yes. Well, you know, I was thinking about that. It's an interesting proposition because on the one hand, I don't think Rosberg's ever been this close to actually winning a
3: championship. And we all remember
2: what happened to Mark Webber back in the day.
3: Oh, yeah, he binned it, 2010.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. And likewise, you know, Lewis chasing from behind, I don't know. If there's one person I wouldn't want chasing me, it would be yeah. Lewis, to, 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 to be fair. But what it really reminded me of is we've seen almost no actual racing for position one. No,
3: that's right. We haven't. And that, that's the point where Nico may come under pressure and crumble. But when he's out in front... I don't think he feels that pressure. I think that's when he's in his zone, just doing the lap times, sticking to deltas, getting the job done. So if he gets out in front, you know, that's bad news for Lewis in any race. He's not going to just go and spin all by himself. Yeah, you say
2: that, but, you know, Vettel's done it before. And like I said, it's a little bit different when you can see the finish line and definitely he can see the finish line. For those just finding us, we are an independent podcast hosted on spannersready.com where you'll find many, many things. We aim to bring you a race review or preview before your Monday commute. And this show, as you well know by now, is safe for work. We're keeping it clean here, at least on the published version, so you can play with the kids in the background or in the car and at work. That's the housekeeping. Done and dusted, as you Brits like to say. So how about we introduce some guests? Let's do it. All right. First up, we have Mr. Matthew Summerfield. Summers F1, the assistant technical editor at motorsport.com and making all of us feel stupid since 1977.
4: How's it going, Summers? It's good, thanks. How are you guys?
2: I, th- I think we're pretty jazzed for this show, actually. It's looking like it's going to be a properly entertaining Uh, and controversy-filled show.
3: Yeah, there'll be some arguments, but we must say, Summers, we do really appreciate you coming on here. It always just feels a bit more legit when you're here. And having you for a race review, that was all right. You don't seem to mind the racy stuff either.
4: No, sometimes it's nice to get your opinion across because with the tech side, it's more factual than opinion in in most circumstances. So I don't get to get to the nitty-gritty of things.
2: Ah, there we go. And next, my... Other favorite American, Vortex Motio, the only other person on the show who appreciates my Tally Savala's tweets.
5: Hey, who loves you, baby?
3: Oh, yeah, there you go. (laughs) Uh, Old people say things. Apologies to anyone under 45 who doesn't know what that is. Hey, Ken, how great were you? Got loads of good feedback that when you stepped in for Matt Trumpets, uh, everyone loved you last week, so thank you for stepping in. I know you were really busy last week.
5: Well, uh, that's really great to hear i'm i'm uh uh, those are big shoes to fill so uh glad i was able to step in and and glad the show went off it was fun to and it was fun to work with summers too that was that was a different and fun race review thanks to you in part two as well as spanners i like
3: to think i played my part are you clicking a pen ken
5: yes i am can you hear
3: (laughs) yeah no i mean if you either have to stop doing it or do it all the way through the show so it's like a nice backbeat got it i like that
2: and of course our last guest on the show who's already been introduced spanners ready mine like a steel sieve that one come to play with the big boys have you spanners
3: yeah i'm gonna talk tech i'm gonna shake off the shackles of my reputation and come talk about technical things with the big boys i'm ready on the button whenever you want to do tidbits All
2: right, here's a few minor tidbits for you before we jump into the deep end of the technical pool. Um, First and foremost, and we got to say, we got maybe some prior word about this at Mm SpannersReady.com. We're hearing that Mercedes is north of four digits on their horsepower now.
3: Let me quickly explain what you were saying there, Matt. We got a whisper about this about three months ago, but it it just just seemed a little bit out of left field and because we're a little bit inexperienced as a website we didn't want to go ranting and raving about but but it's interesting because it's what summers is always going on about them having so much more in the bag
2: absolutely and and speaking of summers any insight on this that you might have for us would be much appreciated
4: yeah so obviously this thousand horsepower the the holy grail Um, that seems to have come up is that mercedes have finally breached that that marker and i think you know it's a qualifying mode so it's not something that they can produce all the time throughout a race but it's something that um, they use maximum electrical deployment and obviously a a little bit more fuel for for a qualifying mode
2: all right well is anyone getting anyone else getting close that you've heard
4: well the, the others aren't too far behind ferrari are the closest and um, I think next year when the token system's opened up, you know, there's no token system from next year, I think we might see some of the other, the other teams making a, a big step towards Mercedes.
2: Yeah, and they're going to need to do that too because not only are the cars getting heavier, but they're also adding a lot more downforce. Uh,
3: a little bit of perspective for listeners who don't memorize uh, horsepower ratings. When, they, when they're in the race, though, are they generally running around 720, 750 horsepower? and then in qualifying, that's when they turn it up to the maximum, and the the teams have generally been running, what, 900-odd?
4: It's Well, it's a bit north of that. They're they're all running somewhere in the region of 850 to 900 during a race, depending on what race mode they're in, how much fuel they're saving, etc. But when they're at peak performance during a race, it'll probably be somewhere around about the 900 figure. Um, But obviously Mercedes are turning it up for for qualifying just to try and outperform the rest of the field.
3: It's strange. I can't remember another era of F1 where you can be watching them in practice and qualifying. In fact, the only comparable thing is when they like is differing fuel rates. But it's so strange that a team can just suddenly go, "Nah, right, that's it. Let's let's whack the wick up now." Or suddenly they're in the race and they go, "Oh, we don't need this engine again, so you can use all of it, go for it." It's it's really strange. It's almost just like it's another consumable like petrol like tires then you've got engine life as well factored in there
2: yes well you've forgotten the age of quali only engines then haven't you
3: oh well yeah no that's going back a bit though i've slept since then <laughs> <laughs> do you know how much whiskey i've had since quali only engines so no <laughs> hopefully a lot
2: cheers all right so then uh, speaking of engines we're also hearing some stories about honda setting up to provide a second engine. So, Ken, i got to ask you, who would want a Honda engine at this point? Uh,
5: Perhaps somebody that has a Renault engine at this point, I would guess. Honda continues to make improvements, and I think um, Summers may be able to speak to this a little bit better than I, but um, they have made progress, and it looks like for 2017 and on, uh, they may be very competitive. So... um, They're in the game to play, and it'll be interesting to find out the answer to that question. Which team is going to pick up a
2: second Honda engine? All right, what you say, Summers? Someone's really going to bite in 2018 for
4: another Honda power unit? Oh, it's a distinct possibility, isn't it? If we've got 2017 looking quite favourable towards Honda, towards that, the end of that year, you might see somebody step in. I mean, my honest opinion of a secondary team would, would be somebody like Williams, already been supplied by Honda down the years. And um, I, I think they're a, a good fit with the, the Honda power unit in that respect, especially if they get a favourable deal in terms of the finances as well.
2: All right, then. So there it is, Honda getting ready to come to a formula one team near you. All right. Um, we should also talk about, I think the new red flag rules that have popped up. I don't know know if anyone else has been paying attention to this, but it's, it's already come up for 2017. And I know we've talked about it before that they want to change the rules about what the cars can do when they're red flagged and in the pit lane. And specifically they want to keep them from changing tires and parts which they've previously been able to do. How do you feel about that, Summers?
4: Well, I'm kind of pleased about it, to be honest. I've kind of I've always found it a, a bit of a problem under red flag conditions that people can literally just change what they fancy, um, especially in terms of tyres. I mean, if we look back at Spa, we had a red flag there, and Lewis and Alonso had come through the field because of being starting at the back of, the, at the, of that particular race, worked their way through because of all the others having to pit stop, found themselves in a favourable position, but then everybody in front of them who hadn't stopped got a free set of tyres. Now, obviously, changeable conditions aside, then I think it's a, a bad idea to have non-Park Firm A regulations under a red flag, except that there are obviously sections of the rules that need to be looked at for certain parameters. But for me, I think it would be a good idea.
2: Uh, well, Ken, certainly you must disagree with him just to make the show interesting.
4: Yeah, I'm uh, sorry to disappoint you
5: again, Matt, but uh, I think Summers is right. There's something very wrong. I mean, I can understand the need for a red flag, but given how the strategy rules are set up, um, it it seems, I don't know, it seems absurd to me to enable teams to be able to change tires in particular, um, unless it's a weather um Situation where it's uh if it's a if it's a wet track obviously that's something different, but I'm with summers on that deal. It seems like a good move
2: all right
3: then spanners anything from the chat room or from you on this okay at this point uh, it's it there's just insults at the moment and uh, a lot of comments on Twitter about my general pornus at advertising the live stream, getting the time out there, yeah. I apologize. It's it's bad. I would love this chat room to be to be really full and for everyone to get a good opportunity. We're getting quite good at starting at half seven uh, UK time. Go to spannersready.com and catch the live stream on there and I will get better about getting the word out. We're also getting a live stream page on Downforce Radio soon um, and I haven't been following the conversation map because I've been just dealing with the abuse uh, on the internet. Yeah, well,
2: that's okay. We're talking about new red flag rules, but I'll tell you where I'd like to go with it is not necessarily to pick a fight but it's interesting to see that the teams in the strategy group arguing against this for exactly that reason well what if it rains and it astonishes me number 1 that anyone would accept that as an argument because how hard is it is how hard is it in a regulation to mention something like oh in the event that the weather changes the stewards can permit the changing of tires to accommodate it it doesn't seem to take very much effort But if we look back at the disaster of the 107% rule, last time it rained and we had a very long session one, we can see why they might worry about exactly such a thing. So I'm going to be really curious to see how this rule gets written when it's written and to see whether or not they actually make allowances for what I like to call reality. Anyone got anything else? All right. Well, then on to the next tidbit. Um, In this case, we've discovered that testing will once again happen in Barcelona and not in Bahrain, as some of the manufacturers in Pirelli would much rather have. What do you have for this on us, Ken? Any insight? Any feelings about
5: it? Yeah, I got um, some feelings about this. This is something that, um, you know, knock on wood, we're going to have new owners of Formula One and uh, this is something that I would love to see a drastic change. So the reason why nobody, the reason why some people I should say don't want to go to a warm climate like Bahrain is because it costs too much money. And the reason it costs too much money is because the teams have to dole out a bunch of money to do this. They're, it, it's more expensive as far as they're flying the freight and their people, etc. cetera. So if, one wants long-term growth in Formula One. One of the primary weaknesses is the tires. And if we're going to test racing tires that are used throughout the summer in winter conditions on a cold track, where Pirelli says essentially we learn next to nothing and the teams don't really gain as much information as they could if uh, versus testing on a warm track, it doesn't help. To show the first few races, people are learning about the tires because they haven't really had a chance to run them in warm or hot uh, temperate uh, conditions. This could be solved easily if the organizers go ahead and pony up the cash for a proper preseason testing session where we gain valuable knowledge. Otherwise, it's just a chance to fire it it's a chance for all the constructors to fire up their their cars their engines etc but nothing really is gained um to solve the tire issues
3: okay uh good points well presented but i don't care about all of that i'm not that fussed if the teams turn up for the first race fully 100 percent prepared for me the testing i'm happy if that's a shakedown if that's a chance to uh, sort your drivers out because the drivers are all under the same conditions. I don't particularly mind if we're not optimal for the tires come race one. Um, so for me, yeah, bring it to Barcelona where people are and people will go. It'll be well attended if you like. Uh, I know, especially in what's the other Spanish one? Jerez. Yeah, Jerez. Yeah, the one I always say with the J. Uh, but, you know, people want to to go to that and attend the testing there. So I would rather <laughs> have it here. I'd rather have it here. I think for. Just for the fact that it's in Europe, it's closer to the F1 community. I don't care about them being 100% prepared.
5: How how many of those pre-season testing sessions have you gone to so far, Spanners?
3: All of them since forever. That's the only way I'm going to win this argument. But yeah. Okay. No, but you you know that there are media outlets, some of the smaller ones, uh, who would go to Hereth, who will never, ever go out to the Middle East. I mean, that, that's yeah, a fact. Right. If you look at your... Because I don't want to name names, in, but if you look at your Summers F1s...
5: Okay, so, well, let's... Okay, so some of those small media outlets, they go to Jerez for the testing, not because um, they're really keen on watching the cars go round and round, but instead because uh, they're looking for good Spanish wine um, to soak their afternoons. And if we look at somebody like Summers, who should be... Um, going to such sessions, who would benefit um, the whole F1 community if he was there. Again, I say if you're looking for long-term growth, F1 should be making it easy for a guy like Summers to get there, to get him a pass, to get him discounts on um, flight out there and uh, rooms, etc. That is a long-term growth plan that if you want to make a big
3: change, that's the way you want to go. So are we violently agreeing here? No.
2: I'm going to tell you something interesting that both of you have utterly and completely missed but is actually very, very important because it's a test. It's not specifically organized by the FIA. Press accreditation happens at the circuit rather than through the FIA, which means that a lot of people who could not possibly get... Uh, FIA accreditation (coughs) spanners ready yeah 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 (laughs) could absolutely go as a media outlet and make contacts and meet people during these sorts of tasks and run video yeah this is an important thing
3: it is nope no video oh in that case I know one or two sites who are breaking the rules this season but yes uh as senior trial says in the chat room missed apex and and censored it is a media outlet now so we should do a junket to barcelona chat room pointing out that uh, ken vortex mortio doesn't seem to be drinking which at this point on mist apex is cheating because uh, because everybody else is right
2: and, well uh,
5: that's we why also i'm have... tapping my pen i'm just like super nervous because i haven't had a drink yet
2: if oh, only
3: that's... there was a cure for that
2: Indeed, if only. Well, we we do know actually, um, and I will just tell this to my audience now, if you ever want to seem particularly clever about Formula One, the German press plus Google Translate can indeed be your friend. And we know from Auto, Motor und Sport that the cost at Barcelona was roughly €50,000 per day. And for the eight days, it cost €250,000. The year before, it was... 450,000, because it went over the weekend. And it looks like if I'm understanding the article correctly, and Google Translate is something that approaches accurate, that there may even be cheaper options out there. But I like the idea very much of turning testing into a proper event, get people into it, have other things going on. And most of all, let's
3: get some television coverage of this, shall we? Anybody else hey, up for that? I am sure there used to be TV coverage of um of of testing because I remember the first time Jules Bianchi did a test. Some is, I, I'm not dreaming that, am I?
4: No, Sky did it one year. Ah, they did it, I think, yeah. their second year into their broadcast rights. It was brilliant because I,
3: I was on a work trip where there was like no work, but we didn't tell anyone. We just like nailed it in the first couple of days and then we sat in a bar and watched testing for four days. It was amazing because I think deresta. Might have lost a drive that year to Bianchi. Oh, I can't remember. Someone lost their drive to Bianchi at the last minute. But anyway, I digress. Well,
2: the you only need someone thing, who actually knows about the sport. On hmm? <laughs> the only mm. other thing that I would
5: add, besides, I mean, those are those would be good ideas, and it would be great, you know, to be able to to make it easy for people to show up at the circuit, and those can be great opportunities because it enables. Somebody to be able to walk around the circuit, you learn a ton just as a spectator by walking around from corner to corner to see how drivers and cars are working through the corners, etc. But the only thing I would add to that, Matt, would be uh, to be able to have access to full timing information, which is something that when I've tried to follow testing in the past from afar, really miss not seeing full timing information. You can learn a lot if you can see the timing.
2: Yeah, well, I think we could talk about that a little later down the page when we talk about Liberty Media and and their expansion of digital rights and usage, because certainly expanding the app to cover testing would be a huge and useful thing they could do, probably for not a ton of effort. But let's move on. And I know we've talked a lot about the halo and I wasn't going to talk any more about it, despite the fact that my screen looks like I've got a halo in front of me at the moment, thanks to my boom mic. But we found out from one Sergio Perez the first actual actual times on extraction that we've heard, and I just had wanted to mention them. He says basically the current rule is you got to get out of the cockpit. What was that, Spanners?
3: I'm not waving Never. at you. I'm waving at the live stream to tell them that it's all coming back online.
2: Oh, you broke it again. Okay, sorry about that live stream. Sorry. Anyway. So first things first, the normal extraction, if I'm right about this, Summers, you got to be able to clear the cockpit in five seconds. Yeah, that's right. And if you're a new driver, you have to do an extraction test for the FIA before they'll let you on track. Correct. And Perez said in an interview that you need at least 10 seconds with the halo on to clear. And that's assuming the car is upright and sitting on the ground. He points out that if it's on its side, you have to climb to the frame and or jump over the frame on the side box and from there with both legs to to clear the car. And that was from Andy Green. And it just, you know, I get why they're doing this. I still maintain that examining lateral impacts would actually have more direct relevance to protecting drivers and that the halo solution is simply going to be something that doesn't really get completed till 2020 with a brand new set of regs. And it's going to be a fully enclosed cockpit because anything short of that just seems like it's presenting more, I hate to use the word hassle, but it's what comes to mind than worth. What do you think Summers?
4: Yeah. You know, my opinion is, is that we should have an holistic view of cockpit protection um, and have a real deep, in-depth look at the way in which the drivers have to interact with getting in and out of the cockpit. Um, just simply saying that it's going to contain debris or deflect um, bigger debris doesn't really cut it in in many people's opinions. So I think it's something that needs to be looked at more more intricately um, and something that needs to be studied, not only by the FIA, but the teams, the drivers, everybody that's involved within the sport. And I think 2020 is kind of a, a good place to do that in terms of being able to put in place new regulations for it.
2: All right. Ken, you got anything for us on that? Or are you in general consensus there?
5: Yeah, I'm in general consensus on that. I think um, I, something that, to your credit, I think you pointed out that um, the... the Current protection that we have for head injuries, um, the vulnerability is the the side, the lateral uh, issues, and um, this doesn't address that. So I, I think uh, going forward, uh, to follow on Summer's uh, th- uh, uh, point, is that it needs to be a, a holistic view of of where we at, where we're at, where it is we want to go in the future, as well as Being able to integrate it in an an affordable, reasonable way into the cockpit and still make it a pretty good-looking racing car as well.
2: All right, then. Well, I I think I'm only going to toss one more tidbit out there, although I had to. And that would have to be Force India saying that they get the job done for $200 less than their rivals, or at least their bigger rivals. And I just got to say hats off to them for being able to do so much with so little.
4: Yeah, it's a good use of resources, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it's very it's very impressive, particularly if you look at a team like Williams with whom they're competitive seem to just not be able to develop the same level of efficiency.
4: I think a lot of it stems down to the the way that they view the sport and the way that they feel the position that they feel they should being within the sport they know that they're not a top team they realize that they know on a very 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 good day and with lots of other things going in their way they may get a podium they may get a win but unfortunately they know that they must fight with other teams and I think that's where their their biggest strengths come from they set their their stall out that way and they understand um, they look at the right things they look at the tires they look at the way that their AI works, etc., And they, they, they do it to suit their needs.
2: Right. Any, anybody else? All right, then perhaps it's time to move on. Then.
3: Tech time brought to you by the new dad hub t-shirt. Tony Thunderbeast Barnard has worked tirelessly for about 10 minutes to design a dad hub t-shirt to celebrate the return of the dad hub podcasting crew next week with a brand new podcast and the official launch it is actually live now of dadhub.org featuring blogs from all your favourite dadhub personalities so if you want a dadhub t-shirt it's got the smart orange dadhub logo on the chest and if you look on the back it's got our famous phrase being 99 famous among the several of you who <laughs> listen and interact with our social media who those of you are not who are not familiar to be 99 is to be called out by your wife for the one chore that you didn't do, rather than the 99 that you heroically did, and uh, we've got 99 on there with a dictionary definition. It's in a forgiving navy blue, so all those curves are smoothed and evened out uh, over your body. I'll be ordering <laughs> uh, one myself. I was, I was in the Tony's. Day. No light colors, man. Just get it dark. Let's sort it out. So you can either go to Dad Hub on Facebook or on the front page of SpannersReady.com. It's probably there by now. But get yourself a t-shirt. It's good value, and it will identify you as someone who struggles and fights the good fight against womankind.
2: Right. I thought we agreed to drop that for all of its uh, non-gender specificity. But okay. That's all right. In the definition. But don't worry about it. That's all right.
3: Oh, yeah. So- no, I'm no, If you've got a difficult husband as well, and, and he 99s you... And your dad, then yeah, sure. There we
2: go. That's what I'm looking for. All right. So this week there was a press conference. There was a media event called Communicopia put on by Goldman Sachs. And at it, Liberty Chairman Greg Maffei showed up and said some things about how Liberty might capitalize on its new ownership, assuming it's approved of Formula One. Just wanted to go through a couple of the bullet points real quick and get everybody's thoughts. First up, gambling. Now, that's kind of sort of illegal here in the United States a little bit or possibly more. But apparently that's a thing over there in the UK. So tell us a little bit about us, Summers.
4: Okay. So um, betting, as we would call it, rather than gambling, I suppose. Even me and Spanners have indulged in this um, in terms of... F one betting. I live
3: for a bet. I don't. I don't. There's nothing that betting doesn't make more enjoyable.
4: Well, it just makes it uh, makes it worth a watch,
3: doesn't it? I think so. Yeah, you can get excited over like a non-league match if you just you just look at the the players and go. Do you know what? That guy's never going to score. I bet the odds are massive and chuck a quid on.
4: Exactly. It's like, who's going to retire first? Yeah, well, I know. Uh, Palmer. <laughs> Palmer <laughs> not, or Ericsson. Can
3: I just tell you what my biggest, most successful bet of this season was? I kept betting on Fernando Alonso to not be classified. And that kept paying out because any time he wasn't 10th, he just didn't care. And he had a mysterious fault. <laughs>
4: Yeah, well, obviously betting in the UK is quite a big thing. In terms of Premier League football, it's a huge factor. I mean, I get requests all the time um, via email from companies that want to advertise on my blog uh, for for betting sites because they want that exposure. So uh, in terms of um, Europe, certainly, I can't speak for the rest of the world, but in terms of Europe, betting I think is something that could have potential for Formula 1 in terms of an advertising stream, revenue stream. Excellent. Well, go ahead, Ken.
2: Well, I
5: got a question on this, though. Uh, I gather, since I live in a country that's repressed, uh, we it's important that we not gamble here, but that we arm ourselves fully so we can shoot each other over minor traffic events and things. Um, <laughs> we we don't have uh, uh, betting on Formula One, but uh, so you guys do have betting currently on Formula One. Is that right? Yes. So. I was very curious about this comment uh, that uh, this gentleman made, like, oh, we're going to make money off of betting. We see opportunities to make money, but betting is already happening. So I part of me is like, OK, I'm not so sure that's a big revenue stream. I don't see how that works. Any ideas here?
2: Yeah, actually, we've had a couple of very interesting court cases here in New York State recently about fantasy football leagues, which have ultimately been allowed in the States. And I'm just wondering if they, they might have a similar idea for a Formula One style game where you can actually pay money uh, and manage players and then the winner gets surprised at the end. I think, I don't know if they've technically not called it betting or gambling or exactly how it worked out, but I know there's, there's been a lot of ink spilled over cases like that. And so that that was my thought. But I think I also want to point out before you get too far into it that at this particular conference, it's Goldman Sachs and bankers they're talking to, not racing guys. So what we're looking at is probably much different than what you or my, I might expect from a, a, an event aimed at people who are fans of the sport already. In I, other words, well, they're just trying to talk their share price up.
5: Yeah, exactly. That's kind of the way I took that comment, is that um, he's just knowing a bunch of bankers that wouldn't know the difference anyway, that, oh, this is another possible revenue stream, and it's, um, what's the uh, child safe uh, term for it? Um, baloney, I guess, uh, but Alarky? I don't know. Yeah.
2: Yes. Horsepucky. There you go. Interesting to note, though, if since we're talking bankers and share prices, do you know that that from a price of around twenty two dollars, Liberty stock went up to almost thirty post F one purchase.
5: Mm, well, maybe they drove a good bargain.
2: Well, I, th- that would that would seem to have made a lot of their shareholders happy that they purchased such a thing. And if I'm if I've got my facts right, which I absolutely may not, so internet, feel free to fact check me on this one. I think that that was good for almost half the total cash that they spent on F one, just in terms of the. Um, uh, rise in the price of their business based on on share on the price. So of did the
5: they they have any other possible revenue streams suggested that they sold these bankers on?
2: Yes. Well, I think the next one we're all very excited about new venues.
5: Ah, good. So this means they will be racing in what Las Vegas garages or something weird like that?
2: Yes. Well, I mean, if you're going to race in cruise ship parking lots for Formula E, what's wrong with a Las Vegas parking garage?
4: Well, it was actually a venue that was mentioned as well. Las Vegas, Long Beach, um, New York. Those are three venues that were mentioned in this conference.
5: Those are uh, horrible venues, I must say, having gone to Long Beach for many years, including all the way back, and I'll date myself when Formula One was there. um, Although that was a pretty good layout, that's a long-gone layout, Um, What I was hoping to hear is that he would be focusing on bread and butter. It seems like the low-hanging fruit would be to bring back France, Germany, ensure that um, Italy is in there, to the low-hanging fruit would seem to be Europe, where you have already more people watching, and anytime you can get people uh, in the seats uh, to see the spectacle live, it Creates and generates more uh, interest and in fans. I'm hoping he said something about that.
4: Did say that they were going to try to stick to the, the European homeland as such. Um, there was no real gauge to say that they would be enticing more races back to the sport. It was more a case of let's look after what we've got rather than perhaps let's add some more. <laughs>
2: Right, well, at the moment, I think the maximum number of races they're permitted to run is 25. And I think a big part of the problem everybody sees is that the teams really don't seem to want to run more than about 20 races a year.
4: Yeah, because it's a logistical challenge. That, that is the biggest problem. The calendar is stretched to a point where, of breaking at the moment anyway um, in terms of the personnel um, and, and getting things where they need to be. So to be able to go to the twenty-five races, you would need to look at the challenge of how you would accomplish that fact, that that that
2: feat. Yeah, and that could be a very combined look in terms of both regulations, like what whether or not you're going to what kind of updates you might allow, but also as I know you put in your comments and I had mentioned as well, this sudden idea that we might have three different branches of the Formula Ones. Formula One championship and an Asian, uh, European and a North American branch that would that would simplify the calendar in terms of travel for the teams and have have less massive transfers involved.
4: That's it. From a logistical point of view, it makes sense to be able to travel within a certain region um it just makes it easier for everybody to ship the freight everybody to get from one place to another so it does make sense to have these sort of um interior series as such
5: well yeah I, that makes a lot of sense actually if you um because it's it it would be a good revenue stream to add i i can see why a series owner would think hey let's add a couple more races um it and it it has a lot of positives. So the logistics challenge, uh, if you're flying from one corner of the globe to another uh, on a back to back, it, it is a killer and it's super tight. Um, And so if instead you're just crossing a single border, uh, it's um, cuts down the travel time to much more manageable. That might be actually the way that it ends up playing out is, and There's a downside to that, though, in that what we have, for instance, we're talking right now, uh, we're in between Singapore and Malaysia. Um, There is a space in between it. It's a two-week gap, and yet it's just a matter of a few hundred miles, I believe, uh, to the Kuala Lumpur um, tract of Sepang, but um, that is uh, the problem is that takes away some of the audience um, so that You would say, well, gee, which one should I go to, Um, this track or the one that's neighboring that they're going to have it at um, in a few days? Uh, So we see people that were going to uh, the big race in Austin and uh, and they were crossing the border. Uh, and coming in uh, to the States to go to that. And instead, they're like, well, what's the point of that when we have a great race now in Mexico? So you're taking some audience away. It does require more aggressive promotion, better ticket prices to make that work. So there's that factor as well.
2: Well, so to speak to that, another of their points on their press release about this was that they had planned to rearrange the weekend specifically to enhance it and expand it to make it larger and more available to a bigger audience. Now, I know that Summers, you had a different view of this than apparently they did.
4: Well, personally, I would say it's better to compact the weekend and have it in a much shorter period. Um, Currently, obviously, we have Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And in my opinion, it might be better to contract that into just a Saturday and Sunday Gives you more opportunity to be able to move the calendar around in that respect.
3: Yeah, spanners. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Let, let's get let's do the testing on on Saturday. So that's a nice activity you can watch. Let's get the qualifying done Sunday morning, race in the afternoon, like they do with the Formula E. Because you have this whole weekend setup where you've got stuff happening Friday. You've got two sessions on Friday, two sessions.
1: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com
0: slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over
2: 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place.
4: With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. ...on
3: the Saturday, and then when qualifying ends, you've got like 23 hours and, until the next event... It's a really weird, disjointed approach. And I understand they've got things like support series and stuff. But let's be honest, most people, they sit down for their motorsport and they're they're there to watch the F1 part of the package. So, yeah, I'd be well up for that.
2: All right. Well, then you'll all be happy to know that the... Oh, Ken. Yeah. No, I,
5: I want to strongly disagree. I think uh, the right way to go about it is to make it bigger, better, stronger, uh, make it a proper four-day event where Thursday it's free or dirt cheap for pennies out of your pocket. You get in, you get to wander the whole track, you get to come over and uh, shake hands with the mechanic, all that stuff. And they're doing that to some degree, but that needs to be expanded upon. And then uh, as spanners pointed out you know you have some dead time on sunday morning or whatnot you know you need to be filling that in with um quality entertainment uh junior series music all that jazz
2: senior child Lake a true american <laughs> let's make it bigger well uh, bigger
3: is better the british uh senior trial in the chat room says expanding weekends just thins out the number of people attending MG 5904 says, are there any GPs that are actually seeing an increase in attendance? Anonymous 131, Singapore attendance was down 50% from last year. They're always saying the Malaysian GP always has empty stands now. Uh, Content cross station. I think it's an implication that the Max Verstappen effect added Dutch one to see an increase in the cash revenues. Uh, And uh, MG also suggesting add Monday testing. Uh, do, during a couple of race weekends. Well, they do that, don't they? Because I think they test at Silverstone after the race weekend and others. And Craig Norman of Badger GP, welcome to the chat room, Craig. We're going to be getting him on the podcast soon. Says the calendar should only be 18 races, but have tracks bid for spots in chunks of six, one European block, one American block, and one uh, Asia-Oceana block. And that, that sort of alludes to what Summers was saying a couple of weeks back about you know, making it, having separate series throughout the season.
2: We were actually talking about that while you were out of the room, my friend.
3: Oh, okay. Yeah, I knew that. No, I, 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 you knew that. Don't listen to him. I was not out of the room pulling bicycles yeah. in because my wife told me,
2: why aren't the bicycles in? <laughs> yes. Well, anyway, so what I have to say to that is I can only speak to that in terms of what, what they they talked about in their press release, which is the plan that they committed to print is a suggestion, would be to having practice Wednesday, Thursday, qualifying Friday, a sprint and a non-points event on Saturday, and the proper Grand Prix on Sunday, along with, they said, interestingly, celebrity driver appearances. Now, I know probably, aside from Summers and possibly Ken, so basically everybody but Spanners, probably don't watch IndyCar, but I've noticed that one of the things they do is you can enter a contest to drive a two-seater, to start the race with Mario Andretti behind the wheel. They do things like this to get people to come out to races. And if you consider reducing the entrance fee, making the tickets cheaper for people to come, then you begin to see, oh, well, we have a larger week. We have more events to sell. We can sell cheaper tickets. We can open up the paddock, make it worthwhile for people to come. But here's the real thing. And this has already been happening for a while is that one of Liberty's main holdings is Live Nation. Live Nation is a huge live music, live event producer. They have lots and lots of artists that they work with. And what I see happening is them using that as a crossover to get larger audiences out. And in fact, I read an article uh, talking about Singapore and their negotiation for the new contract, which I think we're going to talk about a little bit down the board here. In which some fans were like, eh, they didn't have anybody great playing on Sunday, so I didn't want to spend all that money on the ticket this time around. I'd rather watch it on my TV set. So if you're going to get people to a live event, you have to bring to that live event reasons for them to walk out of the house and not watch it on their iPad or TV or computer or however they're going to consume your content. The exciting news is some of those ideas seem like they might get people – imagine – Imagine having a historic F1 race with Brundle and Hill and Andretti and a bunch of drivers like that in it. Would you like to see that on a Saturday afternoon? I think some of you might. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so absolutely. so I, I say watch the Live Nation, watch the music. And as, as far as uh, you mentioned attendance, Spa, Spa had a bigger attendance. But you're right. Singapore was down. Most races are down because this format is getting old and and it needs a revamping. Uh, so because they the, also talked... Go ahead, Ken. Because the ticket prices
5: are too high as well. And so Bingo. why go when you can catch the show on TV instead? I think... And so to make it more exciting and entice more people to come out, make Fridays free or dirt cheap as well as Thursday so that you, a person could go out, walk around the track, go from corner to corner. That's, that's what's going to... I'll tell you a
2: secret. Uh, Back in 2004, three or four, I got a pair of tickets to the U.S. Open, a golf tournament. But for the practice rounds, not for the actual tournament. I got them for free. I went. It was up in Westchester. And it was the best time ever because it was more interesting than the actual tournament to me. Because you see the golfers. I saw Tiger Woods back when he could still play golf. And his one of his his caddy had an entire bag full of nothing but drivers. (laughs) I saw VJ Singh hit 20 balls in a row out of the rough, trying to hit this one particular green. So you see stuff at practices and things like that that just completely open your eyes to how the sport actually works. And you see detail that you never catch on TV. The idea of having Two days of practice in selling cheap tickets to it and letting people wander through the pit lane is would be brilliant. It would get so many more people out. It would make it easier for the circuits to make their money back on tickets and still run a lower ticket price as well. Anyway.
5: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that touches upon just in general, and it, it applies to music, to any sport. If you go and see it in person, you learn so much more than watching it on the boob tube.
3: And uh, on I'm going to agree with Ken because I would never routinely disagree with a fellow podcaster just for the sake of it, Ken. Uh, but yeah, where is my son going to fall in love with motorsport? Not at Silverstone, not when it already cost me 350 quid to get there for a three-day ticket. When, where is he going to feel that rush and buzz of Formula One cars and become hooked for life?
2: A uh, WEC, Formula E.
3: Don't, I'm still sore. I'm still sore. But that's what happened. We went to Silverstone to watch the six hours of Silverstone instead of seeing a Formula One race. And he didn't like the GP3 cars because he said they were silly and small. And when the the, the WEC cars came, in fact, it was the GT safety car that first came out that made him go, wow. And then yes, when the, when the um, LMP1 <laughs> cars came, he was losing his mind. And there you go. So that's F1 losing out to, well, I guess its own... So in series, but yeah, the point stands. Yeah, well, uh,
2: so you ask yourself, how else can we make tickets cheaper? How else can we earn money? Well, apparently sponsors has been an area, not surprisingly, in which Formula One has not been doing the greatest. According to Mr. Maffei, that Formula One right now has 17 sponsors, whereas the average US sporting franchise has 75
4: are we supposed I'm to? I'm just going <laughs> to
2: point out that's a big difference. Yeah. I think that could make a difference. I don't know, Summers. You got anything on that for us?
4: Yeah. Well, as far as I'm aware, and I think I pointed this out in the um, conference was the fact that they only actually have three people at FOM to do advertising and and gain sponsors, look after sponsors, etc. Wow. Cetera. Really? And they, yeah. That that's a t- crazy small amount of people to engage with you know, a, a sport of the size of Formula One, if that is an accurate figure. Um, I, I just, my mind was blown when I heard that.
3: Yeah, and then the chat room saying that, you know, people have already bought their WEC tickets for, for next year, full weekend for 80 quid for the entire family. You know, you wouldn't even consider taking a family of four, you know, especially with young kids. So, yeah.
2: Yeah, well, since since we're talking about this, Let's go ahead and move on to other things that FOM has done very, very badly at. And uh, that would be the digital distribution and content part of it. And apparently that currently accounts for, are you ready, less than 1% of the revenue of FOM. Yeah,
4: Summers. Um, well, from what, what I understand from contracts gone by, Bernie basically didn't know what to do with the digital side of the, the business He didn't understand how to put it on the internet and such forth. So he basically said to the broadcasters, well, why don't I just give it to you? Um, And you can do what you want with it. And that's why a lot of the broadcasting contracts run at separate intervals to the internet side of the business, which will be of great glee to the new owners because obviously they'll be able to renegotiate those fees or build their own platform much quicker than they can do in terms of the broadcasting rights.
5: Right. I would hope. Well, I would hope ahead, that. Uh, uh, sorry, I, I would hope that that Formula One uh, steps up and does a really nice job of of, of creating their own digital uh, apps and services. Um, in that, as opposed to going country by country, because that can end up with kind of spotty coverage, and uh, if. If Formula One steps up and is able to monetize that and has really nice apps uh, that everybody everybody digs and they're pretty easy to get and they're affordable, they could um, do two things. It's a revenue stream and then also it helps build the fan base, which is the long-term goal, uh, which is what I hope is their long-term goal, I should say.
2: Right. Well, I want to throw in my two cents because I have never – ever, until I encountered Formula One, paid money for uh, any kind of content app. And I forked out the money for the Formula One app, and I've enjoyed having it. Gives me the timing, gives me nice maps, gives me nice features, plays good video. I have no problem with it. And because I had no problem with it, I, I came to fork out the rather more substantial amount of money for the WEC app which the big difference there is the WEC app shows me the actual races, including Le Mans, if you pay the extra money. And I will just say that it is so worth it. I have got my fingers and toes and pretty much every body part I can manage crossed that they will find a way to deliver races on a digital platform like that, irrespective of the country in which you're located. And to that end, And what interests me very much is uh, because also we do a podcast here, I've noted that for podcasts that run ads, they are now able to switch out ads on podcasts and target them, uh, geo-target them. And I'm beginning to wonder if that same technology might not allow Liberty to target ads based on your geographic location while still delivering the kind of race content and coverage that we get with the WEC. So you could take, for example, either the BBC or Sky Broadcast, pick one, and then you get ads served to you in your country based on the country you're in so that your broadcaster in that country still takes a slice of that pie. I think that is a solution to the problem that is generally kept video off of digital apps like that. But yeah, apps, apps are huge. And if you're talking about putting things digitally you've got the NFL on Twitter now you've got streaming of games over digital platforms like that too that could become a major part of how F1 attracts a new generation of viewers and increases its audience all at the same time so wanted to mention that real quick Uh, it turns out we have someone amongst us who has not been telling the truth
3: no and it's gonna be me isn't it yeah, you
2: better believe it. Oh, I'm relaxed about time, and then the <laughs> very next thing I hear from you is, "Oh my god!" No, 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 it's, no. Right? Okay. It's, it's it's
3: gone so long. What are we going to be done? This, this is how we get. This a rep- is like this is this cannot happen. <laughs> this is how we get a reputation as a old married couple on podcast. Matt, I said. I'm relaxed about time. You took that to mean we could literally go on all night. So, yes, it's my fault for not clarifying that there was zero time limit for the show. Uh, but if we run out an hour and a half, a little bit longer for, for this week, that's fine. Because, frankly, the the sale of Formula One, it could be the biggest news event in F1 of a generation it's worth the time and certainly we've most of us have grown up in the era of bernie for 20 years talking about this this change point and it hasn't come with bernie popping his clogs it's come with you know a sale that looks like bernie's going to be sidelined a little bit so you know you crack on
2: all right then well we know for a fact that they plan to try and move formula one entirely off of free television they want you to pay for the tv they, they, in fact, they held up Sky as a, as a model and example of how one could make more money Dawn. by moving to that model. And I will simply point out that the end of the Concord agreement, when it wasn't re signed by the teams, but instead they did these little um, individual contracts, basically spelled the end of Formula One on TV. And I have long sat here and argued that that is just terrible. It is. Because more people get introduced to it on free TV, you lose basically. Free TV is advertising for the sport. And I've always long held up boxing as a model. Yes. Of of, of of exactly what could happen when you talk about marginalizing your, your audience.
3: When I was a kid, we had heroes like, well, we had like Frank Bruno because British people. We we like um, the Rocky style guy, you know, the, the lovable loser almost. And, and when Frank Bruno finally won a title, oh my God, we were excited. We'd watched him get hammered by Mike Tyson. But everyone watched that. Everyone, regardless of their economic standing, it was a thing everyone watched. And then you saw this phenomenon now. People don't care about boxing on the same level. People aren't as interested in Tyson Fury and David Hay nearly as much as they loved Frank Bruno. And the same thing is going to happen to Formula One if it comes off of free-to-air TV.
2: Right. But I see the Twitter thing, the Facebook video thing, as being a possible corrective to that. So I'm willing to suspend my judgment. If they're going to take it to pay TV, they need to ensure it can get in front of enough eyeballs. That's my concern. Um, But, yeah,
4: Summers. On mute, buddy. That's my concern as well, sorry, Um, because we've got two models here already, obviously. We've got Channel 4, uh, which is a terrestrial TV TV program uh, station, and we've also got Sky. Now, Sky's viewing figures compared to Channel 4 they're they're a different league to one another you know we're talking millions of viewers on terrestrial tv yet we're talking in the hundreds of thousands for sky you know and that's the difference between a pay model and something that's free to air you're just getting it in front of people whether they are hardcore fans or not they are part of the fan base
5: yeah that's a great point actually and and i and and Uh, What's important to remember is that a lot of, um, particularly the younger generation, uh, are what they call cord cutters, uh, which is people that say, like, why would I pay for TV X number of dollars, pounds per month um, when I could be using that money for better things? And um, most of the channels that I'm buying on these pay TV packages are – junk that I'm never going to watch. They can't justify it. So how to go to Summer's point? Do you increase the eyeballs that are watching Formula One when people are, are cutting the cord? And and I got to be candid. I'm not the the young hipster, but I cut the cord because I did that calculation. It seems pretty smart. Um, Matt, you're a young hipster. You cut the cord as well. Absolutely.
3: Um, I'm a cord cutter. Spanners, I don't get spanners, any live TV to my house
5: well see there you go we're uh we're <laughs> terrestrial here and uh, uh also so um so that would mean then that the digital component has got to be a key part of that i mean if we're able to watch it on our devices or whatever connect our tv monitor to a streaming device um then hey i'm i'm, I'm i would go that direction matt
2: yeah but see this this brings up the inherent Issue people your age, my age, or you know, even say Spanner's age. If we find something we really want, we will pay actual cash money for it. The problem is for a new generation of viewers who are used to not paying money for anything ever because they can just steal it. Quite frankly, how do you get the sport in front of them in such a way that as they age, they will be willing to pay money for it? I think that that is the nut that they have to crack and with. Free TV going away and with people who were millennials, or I say millennials, but people uh, of a younger generation in in their teens and early 20s now, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, where are you going to put the sport and package it in such a way that it gets in front of those eyeballs so that if they want a more detailed look at it, they'll pay for an app or a package that will give them that as they can afford it.
3: And I just want to I just want to confirm that the chat room that there is no ring fencing for my alcohol in the Patreon funding. That is all going towards (laughs) uh, audio project, uh, audio specific projects to do with Miss Apex. Mm.
2: Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, okay. so we have an early test coming up of Liberty, however, and that is Singapore, where we just had a race, is out of contract with FOM at the end of next season. And we're already hearing a lot of talk from Singapore about the race fees and about needing help maybe and perhaps even appealing to Liberty to help get a deal done that lets them continue to put on the race. I think government funds around 60% of it. And if I'm not entirely mistaken, their race fees now are up to like the 50, 60 million a year number.
5: Well, so so what'll be interesting about that, is um i mean in some ways we don't really care i don't think as to how how that deal goes i mean singapore is a great visual spectacle um it it has its advantages and disadvantages as a track but it's it's an, it does have its importance in the calendar and so i i would not want to see it go away let me just make that clear but as far as whether or not a deal is done the, the key thing here is that, you know, people may look at Bernie in the wrong way and that Bernie Bernie is the guy that drove the hardcore stair step or whatever they call the contracts, that uh, escalator contracts that go up in a, in a reasonable amount each year and cause the tracks to lose money. But he was, in fact, doing the bidding of CVC, and their model was that they – they didn't want to put money into Formula One. They were only interested in extracting money out of Formula One to benefit their uh, shareholders. So what is going to be key is the new owners say, we're not interested in quarter by quarter um, growth. Uh, we're more interested in long-term growth. What is going to make this a healthy, vibrant A profitable sport going long-term into the future. In this case, one would expect that um, the contract with Singapore may end up being a little bit different, and that's a contract that's going to need to be negotiated in 2017, Um, and so... Bernie uh, may well successfully negotiate that contract, but it may be different from what he's been doing for the last uh, three, four five years under CBC's ownership.
2: Right. And I think we may have a little bit of inside info on that because, Summers, you came up with something interesting when we were talking about this on WhatsApp before the show.
4: Yeah, well, there was an interview with Bernie and Martin Brundle on Sky, and Bernie was being his usual self in terms of the way that he's a bit bullish in terms of contracts and all of that sort of stuff um, and how long he's going to be here in the sport. Uh, We've obviously Martin pushing him in terms of are you going to retire, when are you going to retire, etc. But one thing that I did take away from the conversation was the fact that Bernie basically said, I did a deal today on a handshake. I'm the only person who can do those type of deals. Now, he's in Singapore. We've got talks about Uh, contracts being renegotiated and to me that was the early stages of something being done Um, uh, and that's just the way that Bernie has tended to operate and perhaps that is different to what we'll see from Liberty Um, but yeah I found that an interesting bit of insight from from that interview
2: yeah well the government support like I said 60% the number is astronomical and then it's not a surprise to hear that the ticket prices are what they are and the ticket prices being that high discourages people coming out to the event live, at least at, at the level that you or I might attend. Apparently, attendance in the paddock in the VIP areas doesn't suffer much.
3: Uh, go figure. Anonymous 131 in the chat says, if Singapore didn't think it was worth 50 million to 60 million, why did they sign in the first place?
2: Oh, I, I, think, I think the deal is that but looking at economic projections, it was probably worth what they paid for it. They're estimating over a billion dollars over the course of the race profit to to the city in general between taxes and actual money spent by tourists. It's a big tourist thing. It's also a very big business thing. A lot of the business leaders like to do deals in Singapore. It's a sort of gateway to the Asian market, if you will. That's probably one of the reasons we saw Haas and his CNC machines really wanting to be part of F1 because they have a big Asian presence. And that's a market that he's looking to expand into. Well, hey, I, but- I, well
5: I, uh, I was just going to say, though, I mean, if you the, – the key differentiators, though, that we're looking at, though and, – and, and that's right. I mean they, they had economic studies showing that this would benefit their local economy and all that. But the key differentiators are um, – can they make it – That one of the things that was really interesting – that was said by Liberty early on is that they looked at um, the track owners as customers and partners as well and right now the deals that that track owners have they're not able to really make much money to cover and so uh, their their expenses that they're paying to Formula One to host the race as a consequence they it's really difficult for them to make ticket prices cheap and it's just driven strictly by the deal from formula one uh, so if that that's the part of the negotiations that'll be very interesting to see what direction liberty plans to take the sport uh, in the future are they how much profit margin are they willing to give up to grow for long-term growth for more eyeballs more spectators and all that stuff.
2: Right. I think they're going to make. I think they're going to make more money by bringing more people. They're looking to make more money by bringing more people into the sport and making the sport something they sell over their networks long term. So I don't think they're going to need to extract that kind of money from circuit operators in the same way that CVC did, and CVC extracted it mainly in the back. So the governments and the new cities where these races were being held. I think they have a different strategy, and I think part of that strategy is going to be bringing down ticket prices and putting on coexisting events with some of their other properties. But that's not the only interesting talk we've had about costs in Formula One. It was a very provocative article by Anthony Hamilton about the cost of just getting into motorsports. And I believe our, our very own Spanners would like to talk about it in Spanners Corner for a bit.
3: Let's make that the beat for Spanner's Corner. I liked it. I wasn't expecting my little segment here to have a title. Should we go back and change the intro to this show, though, from tech time to liberty media talk time? (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, we could do that. Sorry, no, no. we've got so much tech to get through, though. So no, no. don't waste our time.
3: I won't. Well, this is kind of about tech <laughs> because I know Anthony Hamilton was really talking about the route for young drivers, given that he's got that passion having got his son through the junior formulas and also managing other young drivers and then people like paul de resta so his point was really about how drivers get through the junior series saying there's no clear path for drivers to go through and the spiraling costs of the kids to get into those series and then ultimately into f1 you look at lance stroll now he's not rare and anthony hamilton was talking about a time when f1 just becomes about gentleman drivers all-pay drivers now with the this links the two subjects nicely what is liberty media's attitude towards the technology of the sport going to be because they can pick and choose we we detailed in a very well written argument by spanners ready on spanners about the how much is the driver worth in time versus how much is the money that they bring in worth so if renault can pick up eight million pounds which is the rumored cost of julian palmer's seat what is £8 million worth of development worth? So for a team like Renault, they're going to get more lap time with the money to develop lap time than they're going to get from the difference between Julian Palmer and the next Lewis Hamilton. So Liberty Media can make the difference here because Formula One is not not a spec series. It does have limits to specifications. Imagine if there was no limits and it was just get round this track as fast as you can. The costs would be infinite and spiralling. And wow, think of the amazing technology we'd get to that. If you made F1 and you said, right, there's no rules. You've just got to go as fast as you can. We would probably develop interstellar travel from the amount of R&D that would get poured in. But maybe you'd only get one or two teams out of that level. So to make it affordable, F1 does have a certain amount of spec that it does. You can only do aero to a certain width, for example. Um, You can... Yeah, that's probably the best example. So they do spec it to a certain amount, but at the level we've got now, you have got three teams, Ferrari, Red Bull, Mercedes, who can afford to take on talented drivers and then can develop as much as they want. But you've got the privateer teams who struggle to keep up and have to take on paid drivers. So they can choose. If they make it less spec, you're going to make it more and more expensive Uh, Sorry, Senior Trial saying Hoover Rocket Cars. Stop distracting me. I'm on a roll. They could make it more expensive and have just paid drivers because it will be funded by billionaires' children and the standard of racing will go down. Simple as that. You can make it much more spec. You can still have the engineering challenge, but just change that ratio where having a good driver actually gets you lap time and advantage over cash development
2: well, I was going to just jump right in there and say that I, I feel like American sports, aside from obviously being superior because American, offer an excellent vantage point, in particular baseball, which is like cricket only better.
3: How in dare you? you can have,
2: in which you can have a team like the New York Yankees that spends umpteen hundred million dollars on its payroll, and yet they can still lose to a team- Like the Oakland A's, which in terms of budget would be very much comparable to, say, a privateer team, a Force India, or maybe a Williams. Yeah. And so I think the challenge for Formula One and the challenge for Liberty is to set the rules such that if I'm a manufacturer and I spend a lot of money, at a certain point, I'm going to win just because I've spent all of this money. So I feel like my investment isn't wasted. But simultaneously, if I'm a privateer and I spend my money well, I know that I have a chance to win. And in a good year, I can take it to a manufacturer despite having a smaller budget. And I think the key to that, and I think Summers wants to get in here, the key to that is what the FIA like to call the listed parts. Summers.
3: Mm -hmm.
4: Well, I think Max Mosley has just taken over your body, Matt. Because you just... whoa
3: whoa, then Matt is in for a good time Yeehaw. you've
4: just you've just put forward exactly the same case as Max Mosley, which is effectively a two tier championship in in the respect that if you want to spend a hundred million five hundred million, you get a certain set of regulations to work within, if you want to spend a lot less. And you work within the framework that's set out, you get more in terms of the the regulations and and that 's exactly what max proposed and for a long time i 've basically said that that was a very good route for Formula One to go down because it does give the smaller niche teams the opportunity to take it to the bigger teams um, that want to put the money in um, it 's a difficult balancing act you 're going to have problems and Trying to balance the, the two differences in performance will be very challenging. But I do think that, you know, if you want privateers in a sport where you've got manufacturers that can spend as much money as they fancy, then you have to have some kind of concessions to allow them to take it to the bigger teams, like you say, with your uh, American sports analogy. Again,
5: I, I think that's, um, well, I, I think a two-tier uh championship would be um, would hurt uh the future of formula one. It would hurt um the growth of Formula One. I think essentially we do have a two-tier system where we have three or four teams that are getting great gobs of money and they're getting it from Formula One. Uh and uh the rest of the teams are poor and so we have a two-tier rich team versus the poor boys. Um, two different championships I I should say and and candidly it's it's not a good show and what would be a lot better show is if we didn't um, subsidize three or four teams with massive amounts of money and instead um, were to spread the money that is being given to all the teams in a more equitable manner or fashion um, so that uh, in and and I, I, I don't care if Ferrari says, "Well, we're just going to up and quit." Um, it, go ahead, quit. You know, I mean, Ferrari yes. won't quit. Yes. And I know, think I right. think we all know that. Yeah. Um, and if so, I'm hoping we'll see the courage of Liberty uh, to drive the hard bargain to make a big change because. The way we're where we're at now, that's a horrible idea that Mosley had. And that's not the way forward.
3: But uh, Ferrari, there's this big myth that Ferrari is F1. And I think that's all out of the window now, especially with Liberty coming in. We can survive without Ferrari and we can survive without anyone who's going to bully us to say it has to be their way or the highway. And I think that I think Red Bull falls into the same category. I don't need your tantrums and saying you're going to kick off just because you haven't won for a bit.
2: Right. So I I want to speak uh, particularly to what you just said, because I think if I'm understood Summers correctly, the idea wasn't to have a separate privateer and manufacturer championship, but the idea was to give you different regulations depending upon the amount of money you spend. So if I'm Force India and I spend $150 million, my listed parts might be two. If I'm Mercedes, and I spend five hundred million dollars. I might have ten parts on my listed parts schedule, okay. so that okay. so that so so that you have so that you can achieve some parity with, between these massive budget differences. But I would go further. I would again look to the American model and baseball. I think football as well is they just they have caps. They have caps on spending. If you spend more than two hundred fifty million dollars for every dollar you spend, ten cents gets put into a fund, and that gets distributed to the rest of the team. So you can spend as much if, as you want, but at certain levels, that costs you more and more dollars per dollar you spend, and the extra money goes back into the sport. So you you can choose to spend $500 million when you develop your brand new V6 hybrid engine, but the other teams will benefit on a cash basis from that, number one. And number two – I see you shaking your head, but I'm a, I'm a big fan of the idea of the parametric regulation. The idea that instead of saying that the, the car has to weigh 800 kilograms or 700 kilograms and that we say that there's a horsepower to weight ratio and as long as you pass the crash test, you're good to go. It lets people be efficient with their resources in the way they best know how. That saves everybody money and makes the whole racing more interesting reducing the number of listed parts for for what we would consider privateer or non-manufacturer
3: teams. I love that idea. So it looks like we're finally getting to the point we're going to talk about tech and we've lost Summers off of the Skype call, which is fantastic. Look, we've run an hour and 23 minutes, Matt, and it's been good stuff. I have enjoyed it. If we have lost Summers, we could make room in the week for a Tech time special where we just come in and have a chat for half an hour and just put it out. Tell you what, since it's a midweek show, we could just, just literally hit record and just have the stream of consciousness from Summers.
2: Well, hang on. I think, I think he, he's on his way back. He had to reboot his computer. Oh, he, just, okay. he just, he just messaged me and he is back. Nice try. Sorry, MG. Spanner's trying to cut short the
3: show. Yeah, but look, he's gone again. Summers has gone again. It is a sign from the gods, from Jupiter himself, that maybe this week we've run our course.
2: All right, all right. Fine, fine, fine. We'll do it your way. All right. We'll we'll, we'll, we'll release the tech stuff as a midweek release separate from the
3: Liberty stuff. Two missed apexes in a week. Oh, sorry. Missed apexes. Apexes? Apices. Apices for you this week. Someone has been in touch and he's going to jump back on in a minute. We'll hit record and you'll have a a no edit tech special because I haven't got time to edit. Uh, I have got a comment of the week though this week, Matt. All right, let's hear it. What is it? Okay, so the comment of the week is from senior trial as often it is i love that spanners waves a cue to matt i think this is when we do the bumpers then raises an eyebrow for the cue because nothing still happened and still matt is reading his notes uh, yes do you think that there's a, an element that we've been we've been working together too much this week on voiceover stuff and you've just fa- um what would you call it faded my voice out
2: yeah, uh, yeah, or possibly it's the eyebrow, eyebrow trim. I just don't notice them as much
3: anymore. Oh wow, yeah, I'm like, yeah, it's like <laughs> Samson. I've uh, my my <laughs> eyebrow raising now has no power. Well, there you go. That explains it, Senior Trial. But you do have this week's
2: comment of the week. All right, so Vortex, where can we find you?
5: Uh, I am on Twitter at Vortex Motio, and that's the Latin spelling of Motio, M O T I O, baby.
3: In absence of Summers, you can find Summers at www.summers, S O M E R S F 1.co.uk, at Summers F 1 on Twitter. Basically, if you type Summers, S O M E R S F 1. Into Google, you will find all his stuff, and it's worth it. I honestly believe there's no one talking F1 tech as well as Matt and his Matt Summerfield and his immediate circle. So, if you're an F1 fan and you're not following Matt Summerfield, what on earth are you doing?
2: Absolutely on motorsport, his own blog and the Twitters. As as for you, Spanners, where can we find you?
3: Well, you can find me at spannersready.com. dot com. You can find me at spannersready. So much like Summers, if you type spannersready into the internet. The Google bots have now detected all my stuff. So you'll find my site and you'll find me on Twitter. I would love it if you would check out the Dad Hub post that I've just put in uh, the front of spannersready.com and consider buying a Dad Hub t shirt. It's a nice dark color. It's flattering. Uh, it's got a cool, sexy symbol and the phrase being 99 on the back. All proceeds go to me
2: all right well i'm matt trumpets you can find me at matt pt 55 on the twitters you can also go buy my wife's book amanda weaver at amazon the new one is just coming out so please if you've not bought it to buy yourself one or two races worth of peace and quiet now's the time speaking of the time that's it for tech time this week thanks so much for joining us we'll talk to you next week
3: Well, I played the wrong outro music, Matt, but I think we'll roll with it and take the opportunity to plug at Fallen to Flux, an absolutely kick-ass metal band from London. They do a lot of gigs around the south of England and the London area. Go check them out. And apologies, it's been so long since I last plugged them. Indeed,
2: I, I, and I'm beginning to see why you don't like the shows going that long because you simply don't have the capacity to keep up with I, the drinking.
3: I really don't. It's terrible. My 20s, I used to fall asleep in so many roundabouts just because the night went on too long and I just wouldn't get home. And a roundabout, it's secluded. The police never look for you there. It's generally warm. You can seek shelter from the rain. Kids, if you can't get home, don't risk an Uber. Fall asleep in a in a roundabout. Tell them Spanners told you so.